Revelation. So Revelation chapter one, you should be turning there in your scriptures right now. Last week, we handed out some journals, okay, some Revelation journals. They're all gone now. I think we got 400 of them printed and gone. We still have some Revelation bookmarks right here. They're up on the front. You can grab those, and here's the deal. If you grabbed a Revelation journal, they're blank, okay? There's just lines for you to write down thoughts. On the front, it says chapters one through three because we're gonna produce a new set of journals for chapters four through five. And once we get to chapters six through 19, once we get to chapters 20 through 22, there'll be new journals for you to have your whole volume put together so you can understand the book of Revelation, which is broken up in a divine outline. Now here's the point that I wanna put out there. Chapters one through three, when you are done with your journal, maybe you brought your own journal, or you're gonna grab a notepad behind you and take notes and consider. After you've done that, we're gonna give a prize to the person who has the most and the most beautiful notes written in their, in their chapters one through three. You're gonna get a brand new iPad, okay? I'm not even messing with you, a brand new iPad. I, I'm not kidding. I ran it by the staff just over the last service. I said, let's do that. Let's bless somebody. So if you wanna go online and you can watch the last two services and catch up, I wanna see some great note taken. Because as you hear the word of God and decide to write it down, it goes deeper in your cognitive memory. Matter of fact, it's a form of worship, I believe. Journaling, taking notes, pondering, because it shows your, your desire to, to really own this. And it also shows that you're not, that you want to learn and retain it, and also that it's important to you. That's why we provide the notes and the pens and all of that stuff there. Let me use an illustration that might help convict you just a little bit. What if I was going to right now give you the next week's winning Megabucks numbers, seven of them in totality? And I were to rattle them off quickly to you, and then also include at the end there the Mega Bucks jackpot winning number, the combination number at the end. Would you sit here and nod and smile and go, that's amazing? <laughs> or, or would you with sharpened fingernail write it into your forearm, blood pouring out? <laughs> you know, I don't want to forget. You wouldn't trust your memory for that because it's going to change your life. It's truth that will change your life. I like to write in my Bible just notes and margins. I've got the blank pages that were provided at the beginning and the end covered in notes as I've been walking with Jesus, just learning. I wish I knew more than I do now. I think most of us would say that about ourselves. Man, I thought I would know more by this time. You know, I thought I would, would have learned more. And I just want to give you good news. God is a great teacher. He loves you right where you're at. He wants to teach you something tonight something that's going to be practical for you and applicable for you and life-changing for you. So uh, hopefully you got a notebook. If you didn't get one, just go to the store and buy yourself a journal, keep notes. And if I'm impressed by those notes after chapters one through three, I'll buy you an iPad, I promise you. Take your Bibles though and open them up to Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. So you can turn right there to the middle. You got Psalms and Proverbs and then go to the right a little bit to the New Testament. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you're gonna hit Acts and you're gonna find Romans quickly and get to all the rest of those chapters. You're gonna find first and second Corinthians and you're going to find some Galatians and some Ephesians, some Colossians and some Philippians and some Philemon and some Titus and some Timothy and some Thessalonians. You're just going to keep going through until you get to the end of the book, the last chapter that we study together. The last installment is the book of Revelation. And here's how we're going to do it this morning. It's not morning. I caught myself. I think somebody might have helped me, but I figured it out. Here's how we're going to do this tonight. We're going to pray first. We're going to ask God to give us the mind of Christ, to renew us, and to speak to us. And let me just preface it this way. Today's Sunday, right? Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. It's, in the scriptures, the Lord's Day is Sunday. Jesus rose 
on a Sunday. Jesus met with the early church in his ascended form, in his resurrected form, on Sundays. And he met with them in that fashion. And the church gathered throughout history in the early century, first century on Sundays. This book, the revelation that we study tonight, I'm going to read to you out of verse 10 of chapter 1. John says this, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. I just want you to put yourself there. Imagine John on the island of Patmos, kind of like Luke Skywalker, wearing his robe there on the island, you know, by himself. And it was the Lord's day. He's by himself. He's been by himself a while. He's old. 90s, approaching 100. He lived a long life, probably ready to tap out, maybe even struggling with where life had brought him. Like, I kind of wanted to retire on an island, but not like this. And what's he do? It's the Lord's day. So he goes into the spirit. What does that mean? It means to meditate. It means to muse. It means to consider. It means to pray. Maybe he had some scriptures with him. I don't know. He had scriptures written on his heart. He knew the word. And he decides to listen to God. And the Bible says that he, at that point, heard the voice of the Lord like a trumpet in his ears. It was like music, powerful. I've been to services where I've been in the spirit, okay, where I've been leaning into the things of God, and God has spoke to my heart, things that I needed to hear, things that have changed my life, changed my life. My prayer is that at this service, this was the last one of the day, at this service, that the Lord would give to you exactly what you need to hear. And it would be like music to your ears. So let's pray in the spirit and ask God to do that tonight. Father, in Jesus' name now, we humble ourselves as we read your word with thanksgiving. And we ask, God, that you would indeed speak to our hearts on the Lord's day. That our ears, Lord, would be open to what you have to say. That you would grant us mercy And Lord, like music to our ears, would it be perfectly tuned? Would you give every man here, Lord, the word they need? Maybe it's encouragement. Maybe there's a word of rebuke or exhortation. Maybe there's a word of healing and strength. And I pray for my sisters, the ladies, that God, you would speak to their hearts, that you would minister to them and build them up and wash them in the water of the word, that you would encourage and strengthen and instruct all of us. Jesus, we consider John... We don't know exactly what he was going through. We could only imagine. And you met him. And we know what we're going through. And we need the exact same thing. We need you to meet us. So bless this evening's time in the word. Thank you again for that wonderful time of worship. Reminding us of what you're doing and who you are. Do that same thing now. Through the teaching, the hearing, and the keeping of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Let me read to you verses 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, that is, God gave to Jesus, to show his servants, that's us, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. John on the island of Patmos there had been a faithful witness, and he had bore witness to the testimony of Jesus and everything he knew. And now in his latter days, Jesus said, you've been so faithful, John. Everything I gave to you, you gave away. Everything I told you, you told somebody else. So I'm going to tell you something else. I'm going to give to you something else. And let me just make sure you guys got the principle from last week. To the degree you're willing to give out will be the degree God's willing to pour in. 
I'm going to say that again. To the degree you're willing to give out will be the degree that God is willing to pour in. If you promise the Lord that you'll give away that which he gives you of any kind of wealth or resource, of any kind of riches, Lord, give it to me so I can give it to others. See, this is what Sunday school teachers do. This is what Bible teachers do. This is what small group leaders do is they study and they prepare and they cram and they memorize and they learn. Why? To give to somebody else. You ever done this before, Sunday school teachers? Maybe even secular teachers? You, you learn, 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 get, 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 get in order to go give, give, give. You want your life to be exponentially blessed, okay? Be a getter to be a giver, okay? Don't be a getter to be a getter, you know? Get all you can and can all you get and sit on the can. Go and do it. As a matter of fact, in the mornings and in your life, if you seek the Lord, Why? So I can be a fragrance to the people I work with. So I can be a ministry to the people that are hurting around me. I want to soak in the word. Why? So I can get out and then smell like Christ. And Jesus will give to you revelation. He will give to you those things that you don't yet have and know in order to give them away. This is what happens. It's the truth. And you know what I would tell you? I would challenge you this. So step out into that. Be a giver. Start a life group. Start a Bible study. Invite your friends to Starbucks or to Ultra Life early in the morning. Say, let's just read the Bible. And then that night, ooh, you better read the Bible. You know what I'm saying? And let's read the Bible and see what it says and love each other. Do this with your kids, with your spouse. John did this. He was faithful. <laughs> and so in his latter days, Jesus is like, dude, you've been so faithful. You wrote John. That was legit. And then you wrote 1 John. And then you couldn't stop. You wrote 2 John. And then you wrote 3 John. So enough books written about me named after you, John. I want you to write a book about me after me. All those books, John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, were about Jesus. You guys know that. John was written so we would believe. First and 2 and 3 John were written so we would be sure. And the revelation of Jesus Christ was written so we would be ready. John says, you guys gotta be ready. You gotta be ready. Roots down, fruits out, ready for the king. He's coming. Behold, he's coming. We're going to see that in verse 7. Behold, he's coming. Verse 3 goes on. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. There's a unique blessing attached to the book of Revelation for those who hear it, which is what's happening tonight. For those who read it, which is happening tonight. For those who keep it in Jesus' name, that's what's happening tonight. There's a blessing for you and for me. He goes on in verse 4. This is where we'll begin tonight. <laughs> John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, verse 7, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Stop right there, Isaac, before we read one more verse. Can you imagine John seeing this revelation, and he's now recapping it and writing it down? He's guys, boy, he's coming. I just saw the return of the Lord. I saw the return of the king in this vision. Guys, get ready. The time is near. The time is short. Get ready. And he begins to worship. And just so you know, you're on the right trail. Verse 8, Jesus comes in. And he signs off on this introduction of John. 
He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Can you imagine writing out the introduction and Jesus comes in and says, after you say your stuff, I'm going to go ahead and just put some red letters there because I like what you're doing, John. You're writing it down. Do you not in your life want the Lord to validate your ministry in your life? Don't you want the Lord just to say, good, good job, good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. And this is what the Lord promises to each and every one of us who surrender ourselves in our lives, whether young or old or in the middle, at the beginning or the end, and say, Lord, just take me as I am. I'm just a normal person. I'm just a, a normal gal, a normal guy. Lord, would you use me? As a matter of fact, verse four is where we're beginning. You'll notice the very first word there is John. See, John identifies himself as the writer of this book. It's actually not that hard to understand. Believe it or not, there are critics out there that wonder, I wonder who wrote this book. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm not the smartest guy here, but John said he wrote it, you know. Five separate times in the entire book, John references himself as the author. And I, John, saw, and behold, John, I was there, and John this and John, he's John. Did you know what his name means? It means Jehovah is a gracious giver. I think that's pretty cool. For God so loved the world. That comes out of the book of John. Here, the revelation of Jesus Christ was given to John. And John would go on and say, you know what? You want to know who's gracious? God, straight up. From the time I met him to the time I met him, he's been gracious and giving. Do you realize that? Do you know that? Because Satan wants you to believe a, a bill of goods and a lie that states something else, that God is not good, that God hasn't given to you all good things. Matter of fact, the very first lie told in the Garden of Eden, is God really for you? He's put restrictions on you? He said, don't eat of that. Why would he do that? And Adam and Eve began to ponder. I, I, I don't know. I thought he was good. Now that, you, now that you, and the lie came out. Jehovah is a gracious giver. Now, I like that John wrote this, and I think it's important that we identify with John. Even as we were singing, I was thinking about John. I was thinking about his relationship with Jesus. And John's encouraging to me because we know where he's at on the island of Patmos. He's old. He's been boiled in oil alive. By Titus Flavius Domitian, he didn't die, so he was banished to die on a deserted island. Tough old bird he was. He's going to be out there until he dies. But before he became the Apostle John, before he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, before he wrote John, you guys know he was a fisherman, okay, living in Galilee. And a rabbi comes up to him. And in those days, I don't have time to build this, but in those days, rabbis would find students and call them to follow me. Come and follow me. And if a rabbi ever called you, it was a very high calling. Like, no, no way. I get it. I get to learn from a rabbi, and Jesus was a rabbi, and he called Peter, James, John, and Andrew to follow him. Come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Now on that day, Andrew and Peter were in their boats casting their nets. You guys remember that? They were throwing their nets out, and they heard Jesus call them, so they left their nets and boats, and they followed Jesus. James and John, John, James and John were brothers, and they were on the shore mending their nets, putting them together, getting ready to go fishing again. They were mending their nets. Jesus saw both groups of brothers all those guys are casting nets. I like those guys. They went on to be evangelists, okay? Casting out their nets, bringing many people to Jesus. Peter and Andrew, that was both their gift to Christianity, bring people to Jesus. James and John would go down, not as necessarily evangelists, but as ministers of hearts. They would do ministry for people, mending people back together. Maybe you're a Christian here tonight and you're still trying to find out your gift. What's my offering to Christ? Maybe you're not a Peter or an Andrew with the voice and that perspective, but maybe you're more one-on-one -on -one ministry. 
You've got a heart of mercy and compassion or counseling. Either way, they were called to follow Jesus, and I'm so encouraged because John was rough when he started. Remember, he's following Jesus, and they're super excited about it, and him and James's brother start to argue with the other people, and their mom gets involved, and they begin to argue who's gonna be the greatest, and they begin to wanna be better than everyone else. Have you ever wanted to be better than everyone else? Raise up your hand. Have you ever lied in church? You guys all just lied. We all wanted to be better than somebody else. But it's in our nature. You know what Jesus said? Something crazy. He said, you want to be the greatest? Good. Here's how you do it. Become the servant of all. I want you to be the greatest. Not by the world's standards. I want you to be great in the kingdom of heaven. I want you to be the strongest and the mightiest and the shiniest ever. How? Serve other people. See, they didn't know that at the time. They would learn it, though, and he got his start kind of rough, and he, he wanted to have his own position. And then also, remember that one story where Jesus asked James and John to go get them some rooms in Samaria, and they go there to prepare a place for Jesus, but they won't receive them in Samaria. And so James and John have a brilliant idea. We just want to kill everybody. <laughs> okay, John, time out. You telling me you want to be the greatest in the world and kill everybody while you're doing it. This sounds like driving on Highway 101, you know? <laughs> You know, Highway 20, yeah, drive summer traffic. I want to be the greatest, and I'm not afraid to use this weapon, you know? Anybody but me? Anyways. <laughs> this was me on the way to church this morning, like 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. or whatever the case is. Man, I just had a rough weekend coming into some busyness here at the house, and I wanted to be the greatest, and I wasn't afraid to take anybody out on the way to church. I had, I had to repent, and... Uh, some people, actually, I passed some people and ran some people off the road. That's not true, but I, I almost did, you know, and they came to church here. They're like, hey, I, I saw you, pastor, you, you know, <laughs> praying for you. <laughs> so I'm encouraged by John because Jesus never gave up on him. He just kept using him. It says John, John, the revelator, John, John. I'll tell you what, John lived on the island of Patmos. Uh, he was released before he would die. But he was there for a while. You can actually go to Patmos today. It's outside of Greece in the Aegean Sea. It's now populated. There's homes and businesses. And, but in those days, it was barren, desolate. As a matter of fact, you can go to Patmos today, and you can take a tour. And there's caves up in the heights where they say this is where John lived. This is where he found shelter. And this is where he was on the Lord's Day, praying. And the revelation of Jesus Christ was given. There's like some benches now and some shrines. And, you know, it's a, it's a tourist destination. And as John was called by Jesus and started out rough, eventually he would gain some character and gain some momentum. And he would begin to grow. And he would see Jesus hanging on the cross. Can you imagine that day? John saw that. We sang about it just now. When death was arrested and my life began. John saw that. Jesus died and he wept and three days later, you know who was the first man at the tomb? The, very first, the women were the first group, okay? But the very first man at the tomb was John, the apostle, a friend of Jesus. And Jesus met him and Jesus asked him, would you take care of my mom now that I'm gone? I'm going to heaven. You take care of my mom. And John would live his life until the latter days and he would be the apostle and he would be a church planter. And he would live longer than all the other apostles, longer than Peter, longer than his brother. His brother would be the first apostle to be killed. He would live longer than them all. I believe John would actually attend the memorials and the funerals of his best friends, probably preached Peter's service and Peter's wife's service as they were both crucified side by side. And he saw the calamity of Jerusalem, the fall of the temple, the banishment and the betrayal and the brutality. He saw it all. Now, what would you be doing on the island of Patmos, having lived that full life, having done all that, boiled in oil, yet not dead? <laughs> 
almost maybe rather wishing, dang, I kind of thought I was going to heaven, you know. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been kind of awesome? Like, yeah, cannonball, you know. <laughs> That's how I think. <laughs> He's swimming around, what the heck? Dang it. <laughs> and what's God do? He visits them. This is so encouraging because if you're here tonight, you got a pulse. Man, you got a purpose. God's not done with you yet. And you might have had seasons in your life that you were imperfect, and you might have given a whole bunch, and you might even want to tap out right now. Is there any more? If you're here, the answer is yes. If you're here, as soon as you're not here, then you're done. You're done. Until then, there's more to do. And yet I, just like you, just like John, have a bunch of challenges around me. Psalm 73, one of my favorite psalms to reference. Hopefully you're learning it by now. It's a psalm of Asaph. And Asaph looks around at the world, and he's, he's, he's freaking out. He looks around, he's like, dude, the rich are getting richer. The poor are getting poorer. The, the governments are evil. What's going on? And he begins to spaz out a little bit. He begins to panic. Oh, oh. And he begins to watch CNN.com, and he begins to watch Fox News. And, you know, he's on Twitter too much and Facebook. Psalm 73, read it. And then the Bible says, until I went into the house of God. And he goes to church. And there he's reminded of the end. He's reminded of what's going on. He's like, oh, I get it. Man, I lost focus for a second. I forgot. And this is why it's so important that you read the Bible, why you come to church, why you get in the book of Revelation so you and I wouldn't get swept up in the chaos of today's life that we live. We need the revelation given to us. And I, I wish, I, just, I want someone to hear this tonight. I wish I could come to your house, big smile on my face, and identify all your problems. I wish I could look at your finances and be like, oh, I got it. I wish I could look at your, your body, all the, 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 the things you're trying to do, the, the fat you're trying to lose, the muscle you're trying to build, the, the knee you're trying to get rid of, you know, the, the hip you need. I wish I could, oh, I got it. And I wish I could look at all your relationships and be like, oh, I got it. And I wish I could look at everything going on in your life right now and just give you a magic stick to begin to touch to your finances and touch to your fat and touch to your stuff and touch to your spouse and touch all the problems. Here's the deal. I can't do that. I can't. You're going to leave here tonight with all of those situations intact. Challenges and realities. Difficulties. Here's what I can do, though. Here's what you can do. Here's what I can do. I can reconnect you right now in your life, right now, to Jesus Christ. I can't take everything away from you that's bothering you and ailing you and troubling you. I can't but I can connect you deeply to Jesus Christ. Here, John is on the island of Patmos. Everything around him is chaotic. Everyone has died. Hey, Jesus, are you gonna help me out here? He's like, yeah, I got a word for you. I just, you mean like, a word? Like just, like, just knowledge? And then you're gonna leave, I'm gonna be here still? And everything's gonna kind of technically be the exact same? Yeah. Okay, lay it on me, bro. <laughs> you know, bring it. And I'll tell you what, like Asaph, Psalm 73, who went into the house of the Lord and was reminded, oh yeah, we're in a battle. Things are broken. My body's broken. Relationships are broken. The curses have been metered out. Genesis chapter three. Oh, that's what's going on. And then I stay the course. I keep going. How? Because truth sets you free. John chapter eight. Abide in my word and my word in you and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, people only quote in our secular world, the truth will set you free. The truth, will, no, abide in my word and my word in you, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is so imperative for you young people that are here, because the lies and the narrative of the world are getting crazier and more complicated and more satanic, and this word, this light, this truth, this foundation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, Genesis to the end, is what you and I need to stand on. 
to be able to cut through the darkness. This is what God gave to John there on that day. He didn't give him a wheelchair. He didn't give him a, a, a helicopter. He didn't give him an IV. He said, here's the word of God on the Lord's day. It was more precious than anything he could have received. That's good news for you and good news for me. On Thursday, I was in Colorado somewhere. I was doing a wedding that night on, on a Thursday. I was kind of stressing out. I don't know about you guys, if you know this, but as a pastor, I, I stress out on every time I teach, every time I share, every time I you know, do anything. I was stressing out, and, and as I was getting nervous about this wedding, I don't want to blow it. I, I found a, 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 a devotional book that I'd brought with me by Paul Tripp, and I opened up to that day's devotional, and it had a heading and then a whole bunch of context. And when I just read the heading, it talked about if you're a child of God and he's called you to do something, that if you're walking in any type of fear or insecurity, that you're walking in a, in a certain level of heresy by not believing that God has called you to do and able to do what he's called you to do. And when I read that just simple paragraph, I shut the book and started laughing. <laughs> True story. My wife's like, you all right, bro? And what had happened is I remembered, oh yeah, God's got me. He's got me. See, I believed a lie. I believed in something else, a, a false, the, the devil's real. And he's gonna try and steal, kill, and destroy from you all the rest of this summer. And you know what you need to do? Surround yourself with the truth of God, the narrative, the story of God. If anybody needed a pep talk and deliverance, it was John the apostle. If anybody needed things to change, it was John. But instead, you know what Jesus does? And I want you to really wrap your mind around this. Jesus meets with John and says, John, how you doing? Well, I'm kind of cold and I kind of got burned up and I'm kind of lonely. Are you gonna do anything for me, Jesus? I'm gonna show you what I'm gonna do for the rest of the world. I'm gonna show you the revelation, John, and I want you to write it down and give it to the church. Oh, the church? My church? Yeah, they need it. Hey, I kind of need a message too. This message is to you, John, to give to the church because the church needs help. Let me just boil it down this simply. Maybe your life's all messed up. Maybe there's challenges and difficulties for you. Jesus would come into your life too and say, meet with me, number one, okay? And then get involved in the church. Meet with me and then look to serve other people. It's not about you, John. It's not about you. You wanna become blessed, more full, more right? Then meet with Jesus and get in the game. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter one, right around verses 23 and 24. He said, guys, I'm hard pressed. He said, he said, he said I'd actually like to go to heaven now, <laughs> which would be great, but it's better for you that I stay. Hey, have you been hard pressed there before? I can't wait to go to heaven. It's gonna be so legit. But until I get there, I need to meet with Jesus and serve people. That is what it's all about. And until you meet Jesus face to face and go to heaven, you're to be serving the church in one way, shape or another, to grow in your responsibility, to pray for the church. We're gonna see John write seven letters to seven churches and pray for the pastors, pray for the leadership, give to them and steward from an island of barrenness is crazy i'm hoping somebody in here gets excited about what god's doing in the local church here in our county and begins to serve be responsible to give to love to pray to hope whatever the case is you might say i'm all messed up my life i get it i get it this is why grace is so amazing because god will take you right where you're at all messed up problems and if you begin to meet with him and serve the church i believe that god will use your life. Look at verse four. I can't believe we're in uh, verse four. Uh, the first word is John. That's as far as we've gotten tonight. And uh, we have five minutes left. No, I'm kidding. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. You guys know these seven churches. We've talked about them before. This letter was to those seven churches. There were more than seven churches. 
There was Corinth, and there was Ephesus, and, and there was Galatia, all these churches. And it's not just to these seven churches, though it was, but it's also to the church. These letters we learn from as well. And I want to just say this. You guys know what the church is, right? The church is a bunch of sinners gathering together trying to know Jesus better. Okay, the church sometimes gets a bad rap of a bunch of self-righteous, know-it-all, rock-throwing, condescending, long-nosed, brow-beating people that judge others. Have you ever heard this before? Everyone's like, oh, man, that church is so judgmental. All you guys are so hypocritical. All you guys are so mad. I've heard that before. I've been to churches like that. The real church, though, the real church of Jesus Christ is not a bunch of people who are judgmental and who are condescending and who are hypocritical. Here's the deal. The real church is people who are comfortable being called sinners. Okay? The real church is people who don't have it all together. The real church is people who have messed up their lives and have found a savior. The real church is people who want to be challenged, exhorted, and transformed. And the real church is people who want to be held accountable, listen, to a letter from God. He writes this letter to the seven churches. This is so good. And if you're part of this church, I'll tell you what, man, we bow our knee to the word of God and we say, Lord, search our hearts and see if there be any wicked way in us. We don't adjust this book to our lives. We adjust our lives to this book. That's the real church. Okay, we're not here to cast stones and to judge other people and to tell everyone what they're doing wrong. The real church gathers and says, Lord, do you have anything for me? Lord, what do I, I need? Lord, Lord, touch me. And the fact that this letter's going to the church tells me that the church needed encouragement, exhortation, rebuke, and correction. And if you're here tonight, chances are you're doing your best, right? You're doing your best, but chances are you're not where you wanna be. Chances are you're glad you're not where you were, and chances are you're glad you're gonna be somebody different if you continue on. That's why you're here at this church. We're gonna teach the word, and we're gonna call you out. When your sin comes up in the scriptures, man, we're gonna be looking for you. When this sin talks about in my life in the scriptures, I'm gonna be talking to me because I wanna know. This is so fun. 2 Timothy 3.16, hopefully you have this committed to memory. There's a lot of 3.16 verses that you should have memorized. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, the word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3.16. The word of God, it reproofs, it corrects, it instructs. It'll change your life. It'll give you everything you need in order to be the person that God wants you to be. Now, I mentioned to you that this is two seven churches, which are in Asia. Let me just remind you of those seven churches. We'll see them next week in our study. They're listed. There's the church at Ephesus. They're known as the loveless church. Isn't that crazy? A church that is doing good things, but they have no love. And God's like, eh, let's tighten it up a little bit there, Ephesus. There's the church at Smyrna. They were the persecuted church. Bloodshed, difficulty. We'll talk about persecution when we get to Smyrna. Did you know that on average, 250,000 Christians are martyred, murdered, and killed globally every single year for Christianity? Burkina Faso right now, just right there above Nigeria, there's a whole um, genocide going on of Christians. Everyone who's a Christian is being killed right now as we speak. Crazy, crazy. And there's the persecuted church, and God has encouragement for them. There's the church at Pergamos. They're the compromising church. They had compromise in their leadership and in their congregation. And Jesus says, hey, I love you, but let's tighten it up. Thyatira, they were the corrupt church. Sardis was known as the dead church. Philadelphia is known as the faithful church. Everyone wants to be that church. I'm the Philadelphia church. You know, we're hoping to do that. And then finally, the church of Laodicea is known as the lukewarm church. And I would just say it this simply. When you read your Bible in the morning, you're going to be in any one of these seven camps. You might have some corruption coming out of you. You might have some lukewarmness. You might have some deadness. 
You might have some faithfulness. You might even have some persecution. What's going on in your life? All of this is gonna be relevant to you. And this is why we, the church, need the book of Revelation, but not just Revelation, Genesis, all the way to the very end in order to let us know what God knows and to remind us what we need to be doing. That's how simple it is. And I'll just be real candid with you guys. When I don't read the Bible, when I forget, I get overwhelmed, Satan is afoot, okay? And he will whisper and he will tweak in your ears and he will lie to you, twist the truth, it's so good to get in the presence of the Lord. John, on the Lord's day, was in the spirit. And the Lord reminded him of what was going on. So how does this message start? So far, we're in verse four. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ. Stop right there, eyes up here. The message to the church, these seven churches and us in general, is from God, from the spirit, and from the son. And it starts out with grace and peace. This is where we ended last week. Grace and peace. I want you guys to get this. Most of you know this who've been around the church for a while. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's important that you understand this because grace is also unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. How many want some favor? You know, like favor, like straight up favor. I just want things to go great for me. Yet we live in a society that says, if you do great, you'll get great. You work hard, you'll get good. You do these things, you'll get these things. And that is true. Those are true principles. And yet God shows up and says, well, I'm just gonna flip everything upside down and I'm gonna give grace, my riches, at Christ's expense unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. Now, here's the problem. We don't believe it. We don't get it. We don't understand it because this isn't how it works in your childhood when you're getting raised by your parents. This isn't how it works at, at work with your employer. This isn't how it works when you're driving 100 miles an hour on I-5 and the cop pulls you over like, hey, give me some grace. <laughs> He's like, no, these are called handcuffs. You can call them grace if you want, you know. I've never done that before, but I heard about it. God shows up. He says, you've blown it. You've erred. You're out of balance. You're out of line. Lord, would you have mercy and grace in my life? Yes. Wow. How are you going to give me unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor? Because Christ died on the cross. Because Christ bled for your sins. Because the punishment that you should have had was absorbed by God. He did it for you. And did it, listen, listen, to the degree you get this will be the degree you get peace. To the degree you understand grace will be to the degree you walk in peace. And if you have no peace, if you have fear, anxiety, shame, it's because you live in a fear-based life trying to produce work and efforts for the Lord instead of letting the grace of God reach you and teach you. Again, this, I gotta just, I'm gonna keep teaching you guys this. I'm gonna keep reminding myself because we don't believe this. If you go to your employer and work 40 hours, at the end of 40 hours, he hands you a paycheck and you open up that paycheck, you know what you say? You took out that much in taxes? That's what you say, right? <laughs> you put it, you know. You know, you, you know what you don't say? You don't open it. <gasps> you, you paid me? Oh no, I didn't know. Oh, ah, you know. Because you worked for it. You deserve it and more. It's not grace, it's work. But if you were to just be given a check for $10,000, hey man, I just saw you park there on the line. I just want to give you $10,000. Learn to park. Learn to park. <laughs> what? I mean, I parked wrong and I got $10,000? That's, 
and you're going to find yourself compelled to park better. Here's the deal. You guys, we don't believe this. We don't, we just, we don't because we're law keepers, we're, we're rock throwers, we're, we're sin sniffers. So let me, let me read you a verse, and I want you guys, I've quoted this hundreds of times in my teaching of the Bible. I want you guys to really get this one. It's Titus 2, 11 and 12. Titus 2, especially you parents. I'll read it to you. It says, for the grace of God, that's what we're talking about, grace, brings salvation. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Stop right there, eyes up here. Paul, who wrote to Titus, says something crazy here. The grace of God has appeared to all men. And then what? Teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live lives of sobriety and purpose towards the king. How do we learn? How do we get motivated? How do we get compelled? Grace. When God graces you, when God forgives you, when God delivers you, when God goes to bat for you, when God loves you, when God showers you with all these things, the rightful response for you is to want to love him more and to stay in the lines, not on the line. That's the results. That's what happens. It's the love of Christ that compels us. When you know that he bled for you and died for you, you are motivated to live for him. It's not the law and the browbeating that comes over your life that fears you and scares you into doing right. Instead, when you look at your Savior on the cross dying for you, grace extending to you, you rise early and say, Lord, what can I do for you? How can I live? And by the way, you need to receive this kind of grace tonight for yourself. You need to forgive yourself deeply. Unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. And you need to trust God in giving that grace to the people around you, to your spouse, to your kids, to your coworkers. You see, we're real good at giving out the law, holding people accountable. <laughs> I saw the way you parked. I'm going to write a sticky note on your car. Tell you you're an idiot. Or you can give grace to people, and it will change their hearts. Now, you guys know that mercy is different than grace, right? Grace is getting what we do not deserve. Just getting what we do. We don't deserve it, but we got it. It changes your life. You don't deserve it, but you got it. It's grace. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. What, what do you deserve, by the way? Ah, don't, don't, don't go there. I deserve death and damnation. I deserve hellfire and brimstone. If you're going to be any bit honest at all tonight, I deserve the worst. And God says, I'm going to give mercy to you, though. I'm going to withhold that which you deserve, and I'll take it to myself. And Christ absorbed the wrath of God on the cross, my wrath. Mercy, not getting what you do deserve. Grace, getting freely what you do not deserve. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to the degree you understand this will be the peace that you walk in. The very first command, Revelation chapter one, Revelation, we've got some books, got some letters for the churches. Let's start out with grace and peace. Okay, don't miss that. And then he qualifies it. Who's it from? It's from God the Father and God the Spirit and God the Son. Look at verse four. It says, from him who is and who was and who is to come. This is talking about God eternal. Did you know that God is, and he was, and he is to come? This should give you great peace tonight. You should be able to rest and settle in right now. You mean God knows everything? He's been here from the beginning. He's here now, and he's gonna be here forever and ever. Oh, what am I stressing about then? Why am I so anxious and worried? 
God is eternal. He goes on to say, not just God the Father, but the seven spirits who are before his throne. Stop right there, eyes up here, just tune in. This has confused some people thinking that there are indeed literally seven spirits before the throne, as if there were seven Holy Spirits, which there are not. There's one Holy Spirit, listen, with seven attributes. See, seven speaks of fullness, completion. And the Holy Spirit is complete and is full before the throne of God, and he is active in the church today. And he's with you, and he's with us, and every single church that loves Jesus. Now, we know this because Isaiah 11:2. write it down in your notes. Isaiah 11:2 describes the attributes of the Spirit, and it's sevenfold. There are seven attributes. I'll read it to you. It says that the Spirit of the Lord, that's one, shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom, that's two, and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel, and of might, and the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Seven different attributes, and we use the Bible to interpret the Bible, okay? And so when this grace and peace are metered out, it's from God, the eternal Father, and from the sevenfold spirit, the manifold spirit of God that dwells with the churches. Look at verse five, and from Jesus Christ, who's, by the way, the, the main character of this revelation. And John gives him the biggest spotlight, and he describes him now. Please tune in, verse five. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Firstly, he says he's the faithful witness. I'm so glad that Jesus is a faithful witness, for I have not been faithful in my witness every single time. Have you? The Bible actually says that when we are faithless, uh, bad day he remains faithful still because he cannot deny himself this is crazy when you blow it when you fall short when you compromise jesus doesn't he steps to bat for you he's known as a faithful witness that's why it's all about him it's a letter from him this is why we should listen to him because he's always been faithful and true when jesus was being grilled by pontius pilate he asked him a question are you a king and jesus says you said rightly for this cause I have come to the world, to bear witness of the truth. And that's when Pilate said, I can't handle the truth, or something like that. He said something about truth, I can't remember. <laughs> no, he said, what is truth? He said, what is truth? Just making sure you guys are listening. <laughs> that's funny stuff right there. Was that Jack Nicholas? That's not, that's not, not Pontius Pilate. Maybe they were the same character, I don't know. It also says not only is he the faithful witness, but he's the firstborn from the dead. Again, this has confused people over the years. What does it mean? Then cult leaders take this and they twist it and have a whole different doctrine for who Jesus is, saying that he's indeed created firstborn of the dead. What this is saying is that he's the first one to resurrect from the dead in preeminence. He's the most powerful person to resurrect from. You know people have resurrected from the dead, right? Old and New Testament are littered with stories, people resurrecting from the dead. Even outside of biblical literature, people have risen from the dead. It happens. It's a miracle. Every single person who's ever risen from the dead, though, has lived, had a few more cups of coffee, and then died, Okay. Everybody except Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead, stayed alive, and ascended in his resurrected form. He is preeminent in his resurrection. He's the best. He's the first. The word here in the Greek is where we get our word prototype. He's the first of the resurrected people to be resurrected. Did you know you guys are all going to be resurrected from the dead? When you die, you're not really dead. You're just not here. And there will be a resurrection from the dead. Every single person, believer and non-believer, will be resurrected. And there is a hereafter. And there is going to be a judgment. There will be a separation of the goats and the sheep. There will be judgment for those who are believers, that's us, and we'll be given rewards, crowns, and gold medals and super gold stars. It's gonna be amazing. It's called the Bema Seat. And then there's also the white throne judgment. Jesus here is the firstborn of the dead. 
which is exciting to me. I'm so excited about life. Life's so fun. It gets so nutty sometimes. But guess what? There's a guaranteed end. It's going to end. 10 out of 10 people die. Google it. <laughs> check it out. Fact check that. Snope it. It's good. It's true. And if you're a believer, I, t I told this to a friend of mine in the back. I said, look, every single person in this world suffers and every single person dies. Christians suffer with a purpose and we die with a hope. Being a Christian is so legit. You're going to suffer. There's going to be difficulties. You're going to be on your own island of Patmos. Why? Because God's doing stuff. And you can redeem it and trust him. And you're going to die one day and you two will be resurrected. We have that promise. He says he's the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. I love how John tells us, hey, by the way, you know who's in charge of everyone? Jesus. Just recently in the past couple of months and days, even weeks, some of the legislation that's happening in our country and some of the things on social media and the, the way that the rulers of this world, man, it's starting to make me kind of nutty. Anybody else with me? Just kind of like, ah, you know, what is happening? Look at certain states and what they're deciding is okay and not okay. I'm like, what? Here's the deal. Let me just remind you. Jesus is in charge of it all. Okay, you need to know this. Otherwise, you're going to spaz out. Otherwise, you're going to be an armchair, you know, quarterback talking about to the news guy, you know, telling CNN and Fox News and telling it. You just need to relax, okay, and trust Jesus. I'm telling you, he's in charge, and he will hold every man and every woman accountable, and he will right every wrong and wipe away every tear. There is injustice afoot. It is crazy, okay? And you do your part in our little sphere, our little Lincoln County sphere. You do right and walk humbly and do justly. You do that, okay? But leave the big dogs and the big wigs to Jesus. He's in charge. You'll find yourself sleeping better if you do. He goes on to qualify who Jesus is to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Many a leader has sought to lead their country with valiance and bravery. I am your leader, follow me. And many leaders has even laid down his freedoms and securities. Some leaders have even taken their own wealth and resources and poured them back into their community. It's happened in smaller countries, even in our own country. People giving and serving in order that there would be a betterment and a blessing for the people they live. No one can say, though, what Jesus did, that he gave himself in his own blood to give you and I our freedom. Now, when you see this, if somebody were to lead for you and give for you, would you not respond in some way, shape, or form with gratitude? Hey, thanks for that. I appreciate that. And you really helped me out there. And when you see a man hanging on the cross and your sins are being cared for, why did Jesus die? Like, ask, answer me that question. Why did Jesus die? Because there was no other way for your sins to be forgiven. The Bible says in Colossians chapter two, hopefully you've committed this to memory as well, that there is a handwriting of requirements against you. It's everything you've done wrong or will do wrong. There's a list. Let's just use an analogy. Let's say we just took yesterday's thoughts from your mind and put them on the screen behind me. Okay, just yesterday's thoughts, everything you thought, all the stuff that went through your mind, not even the things you did, just your thoughts, okay? We would all need a lawyer. <laughs> like, you thought that? Dude, you need a lawyer and a shrink. Like, you're in What's going on? That's just one day. It'd be embarrassing. The Bible says that Jesus has a list against you, and he cleansed it. Colossians 2 says you actually can't read it anymore. It says it's been covered in blood, nailed to a cross, disarming and making a public spectacle of the principalities against you. What? Why did Jesus die and suffer? To show his love? Sure. To be a good leader? Of course. To actually pay for the debt? Yes. You're forgiven now. You want to be strong in your barren island? 
You want to be strong in your younger days or older days? You want to hear the Spirit of the Lord? You need to know what Jesus has done for you. You want to receive the seven letters to the church and respond properly? You need to read it and know that Jesus loves you and has changed you from the inside out. He's washed us in his own blood. Last two verses and we're done. And he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Stop right there. Eyes up here. Now Jesus tells John, write all this down. What I've done is from the Father. It's from the Spirit and it's from the Son. And by the way, I've made you kings and priests. How many of you guys think kings and priests are pretty legit? Like, man, I just saw a king. Like, that'd be nuts. Then I saw a priest. Oh, that'd be crazy. He's like, all y'all are kings and priests. All y'all are ambassadors of Christ. How? God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. And they decided, let's use the church and let's anoint them. Did you know that if you're a student or if you're an employee or if you're an employer, that you're to do everything you do for the glory of God? You're an ambassador of heaven an emissary of love. This will change everything about your work week. Stuff coming up right now. God wants you to redeem the days living for him no matter what you're doing. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, anything you're doing, all the things done, do so to the glory of God. What about when life gets tough? What about when I'm challenged? Remember what's really going on. My wife and I flew home from Colorado last night and got home and drove home and one of my kids ended up being sick and so we got home and he, he's puking and everything's going crazy and I have to study and all of this and I woke up this morning at five and putting it all together and he needs you know Capri Suns and Gatorade and so I went to Walmart this morning at 7 a.m. on the Lord's Day. You ever done that before? You ever been to Walmart on Sunday morning at 7 a.m.? Man, Armageddon. <laughs> Which is, you know, the Lord's in Armageddon. And as I was walking, I was like, do I got to be at church and this? And, and the Lord just, he asked me, he's like, hey, hey Luke, what, what, where am I at in all this? And I was like, you're on the throne. It's all good. I can say, it's good. I, I, I'm supposed to go into Walmart now as a king and a priest. And I'm supposed to bless others in your name. That's what I'm doing. My life's all messed up. There's pressure. There's stress. It's all, uh, you know, it's never going to change. It's never going to change. It's only going to get more complex and harder, just so you guys know. And yet he wants us to settle into this fact that he's asked us to be emissaries and ambassadors. Verse six, I believe, ends in a tune of worship. He says, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. John's, <laughs> John's still on the island of Patmos. He didn't get a new couch delivered. Nobody showed up to say hello and bring him some Starbucks. He's still there and he sees it all. He's like, oh, 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 nothing's changing except what he sees. And he realizes like to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. That's how I want my life to be. Regardless of my situations, I wanna see Jesus as he is. I wanna see myself as Jesus sees me. I wanna see you guys as the Lord sees you. It'll change everything in the battle. And Satan will come up and try and mess with you. Final verse will end at verse seven, the very beginning. We'll start here next week. Verse seven says, behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. I'm gonna have Ryan come up and lead us in a song. John ends this thought saying, guys, Jesus is coming. No, he saw the vision. He's like, oh, oh. that was as real as day. He's coming. And when you have the hope of his return, the hope of the son of God returning, when that's your point of life, 
your point of reference, you'll be able to get through every storm, every trial, every setback, every test. Listen, this is important. Every failure, every mistake you've ever made. John wasn't perfect. Never was he perfect. John had seen things fall apart in his life. He'd been separated from his family. Difficulty. And yet he says, behold, he's coming in the clouds. This is great news, family. As the world unravels around us, as your life gets more complex, as challenges happen, remind yourself even tonight, behold, he is coming. The word behold literally means, and we're gonna see it throughout the book of Revelation, the word literally means Take a look for yourself. Behold, he is coming. Have you, have you thought about this? Have you gazed into the promises of God? Have you let it fuel you to change you, to be the person that God wants you to be? In everything you're doing, maybe you're a mom, maybe you're a single mom, maybe you're a stay-at-home dad, maybe things are, are, are hard for you, whatever the case is, maybe you're young, maybe you're old, whatever it is, behold, he is coming. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes before we come to the table of the Lord and handle the body and the blood, the juice and the crackers. Lord, as we take communion tonight, we're reminded of your great love for us, that you washed us from our sins in your own blood. And as we fellowship together and pray and study your word, we're reminded of the things of this world, that there is a hereafter, there is a soon coming end. There is a purpose to the pain. And even right now, Jesus, would you honor your church, your bride? Would you wash her, right now cleanse her, cause her to be more like you, more near to you, more in love with you? If you're here tonight and you need the Lord to speak to you like he did to John, if you need to be cleansed, if you need to be washed, you need to be set free, would you just right now raise up your hand if you need a greater measure of the Holy Spirit in your life right now, just to be a man, just to be a husband, just to be a wife, just to be a woman, a mom, just to be a brother or a sister, raise up your hands right now if that's you. You just need the Lord to remind you what's going on. My hand is up too, Jesus. And I thank you for your revelation, for the word of God, for the promise of your soon return, for the work you accomplished on Calvary, for the sevenfold manifest gift of the Holy Spirit wisdom and understanding and self-control all the things that the holy spirit gives lord in jesus name we raise our hands to you because we need you raise up your hand if that's you don't be don't be prideful humble yourself and jesus would you be on you can put your hand down. be honored lord as we come to the table as we remember that you did it all so that we can walk with our heads up that we can walk faithful that we like john can trust you no matter what raise us up lord as kings and priests in Jesus' name we pray, amen.